0: Um, welcome. We're glad you're here today. We have a, a really uh, pretty compact and, and great time plan for the, for today. We're a little short on numbers, in case you didn't notice. Um, we have 60 or 70 women that are are retreating. It's kind of a weird word. I guess that means they're fleeing from their children and their husbands and and for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, a bunch of us are out of town. They'll be back, kind of from texts and posts on Facebook. They appear to be doing very well, and so we're going to be glad to have them back next week. But we're all here. And these are the right people to have in the room right now. And so, um, wherever you are, be there. It's a great day. I'm going to start um, by asking you uh, if, if you were, if you participated in room in the inn in any way, made a batch of food, uh, did laundry, um, spent the night here with the folks, did anything at all. If you would just raise your hand. And now I'm going to make you stand. See, I tricked you. So stand up. Yeah, especially you, Josh. Come on, please. Okay. So, these are our folks that responded to the, the need we had to, of our neighbors, and so we should applaud them, and I'm really happy. So, thank you, guys. Uh, spring has come, in case you haven't noticed, and winter's no longer here. Homelessness still is, and so be praying for our neighbors, and, if, and as you can find ways to serve them, please do that. But in a real practical way, part of what Warehouse is about is serving, serving the poor and serving our homeless neighbors, and we did that well, and especially... Um, these folks who did all the heavy lifting. So thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, we are uh, doing something a little different this year than we've usually done at, at this on this week. This is the what Christians call the Holy Week. Um, for a couple thousand centuries, they have viewed this week as important because this is a Sunday. It's typically called Palm Sunday, a Sunday that's marked uh, Mark's the anniversary of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem after he had been out um, for, the fir- for during his ministry of three years. And uh, after being out in the countryside, he's now coming with his, his followers into Jerusalem for this climactic week. It's called Palm Sunday because apparently as he entered, people took the fronds of palms and laid them down in front of him and said, Hosanna, Hosanna, um, and, uh, and asked him that they, that, they, that he would remember them, actually, just like this song, this song was sung. And so this is that Sunday. So we are picking up a passage from his biographer, uh, Mark, his book, and we're looking at Mark 11, uh, and I'm just going to read this. So um, this is going to be, I think, a little bit before that entry. Jesus had been staying out in Bethany where a lot of his friends lived, um, where Mary and Martha, if you know those names, and, and, uh, and his, some of his best friends lived in Bethany. And he'd been staying out there. It was also a place that was um, probably, probably we think now, was a place where lepers and, and folks like that um, lived outside the city. So there was a lot of needs there. And he's coming from Bethany. It goes like this. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seen in the distance, a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say this. And on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out to the city In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree had withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, Rabbi, look, teacher, look. The fig tree you cursed, it's withered. Jesus said, responded, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. This is a dense passage; a lot of stuff going on here. And like I said, we're we're grouping this week together this year, so this is this is Palm Sunday. On Friday, we'll come together as a community, and we'll sort of I don't think we celebrate Tenebrae. I think we just sort of take the plunge of of Tenebrae. And then next Sunday, we'll come together and we'll do Easter, the resurrection day together. But this is the, the first day, um, sort of the, the day of preparation for the whole week, if you will, of the, of everything that's to come. And so um, we want to approach it that, we want to approach today that way, that the idea of today is to begin to prepare us for this whole week, this whole holy week, and, and prepare our hearts, if you would. Um, the, the, the part of this these verses we want to focus in on is this, this little sentence where it says, The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Now, I, I know something about fear, and I'm sure you do too. We all have lots of fears. And I know something about hating people that are making me to confront my fears. Uh, I, I'm at I I'm tried to, to remember some times in my life, when I have felt uh, called out about my fear, and I, what I remember, what I realize now is most times when I have felt that, I have been known to show my teeth, which is the same response that the um, that the Pharisees, and, and the teachers, and the religious people gave him, gave Jesus. You know, I, I'm one of my earliest recollections of this, or it's kind of a funny one, but I, I grew up uh, in Northern California, kind of where the valley meets the, the Sierras there, and we have a Creek that comes, runs through our town. It's called Big Big Chico Creek. I grew up in a town called Chico. Got that. That's pretty easy. And it's kind of a cool place as it comes plunging um, out of the the mountains. Um, It's really, we would consider it a river here in the south, but we call it a creek out there. Just to give you an idea, just to brag a little. Um, It's a lot of white water. Um, It has a huge canyon. It's a beautiful place. And when we were kids, we rode our bikes up to Big Chico Creek all the time to fish and horse around. And basically, our parents were probably just like, just get out and go somewhere, quit bugging us. And so I don't know how old I was, but I'm up there maybe 14 years old, something like that, I don't know, with my buddies, and uh, Terry Crosswhite and, and Mark Davis and those guys. And, and where the creek comes down, there's a wall, and it's about a 15-foot wall, and there's a, pretty, there's a deep enough hole there that you can jump off the wall into the water. And I remember the time, the first time I had to jump off that wall, And it it, it just as well had been 100 feet down to that water. And some of them had already jumped, and they were in the water, and they were yelling at me, Come on, what are you scared of? Jump. And, you know, in here, there's just, you know, I'm just tight, just tight. And I am hating them because I feel exposed, and I feel like they are mocking me. I don't think they were, but that's what I thought. I remember um, a time many years later. Um, Kathy and I um, had not been married very long, and I'm sitting in a room with Kathy and her brother and her mother and her father. And it's the end of uh, her. It's during the period of time when her father was in treatment for for alcohol use, and um, it was the family. Was it the family weekend or something like that? I don't know. It was something like that. So um, it's the family weekend, and we're doing the family counseling thing, and it was really kind of like an AA meeting. So there were some other people there. And Kathy's father, Ken, who was this wonderful man and uh, was a bit of a salesman, um, (laughs) to say the least, tells a story. And, you know, after so many years of lies, it it just felt good to hear him say what he had to say. And when he finished, this guy, I mean, some dentist who didn't even know him, uh, basically, punctuated the whole event by saying I just think that's bs only he didn't say bs he used the full uh, the full word and um you know with alcoholics you know the thing you know you can't s and esther and you probably know what that is as well and my brother-in-law ron he he wanted he wanted to kill this guy and 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 me with him I mean how dare him how dare him Say that to my father-in-law when my father-in-law was making this first effort to get real, and Ken, my father-in-law was turning bright red, and um, I think in reality <laughs> now what we realize, as you know, what we realize is we we were you know we were in uh, we were with we were part of the alcohol problem too, and this guy was really telling the truth, and he was not just coming into my father-in-law's fears; he was coming into our own fears. If you've been part of an alcoholic family, what you know is if you don't let go of the things that you're holding on to, the, maybe the person won't go free. I mean, you're all tied up in that codependency. I'm remembering a time, this is a different story, but I remember a time, I don't know, Caddy's in a completely different place. This is a big risk day for you. We always sit over here. Everybody else always sit in the same place every week. We were sitting over here, I'm sure, and um, Mark, Bruce, somebody's up here, and they're doing the announcements, and they're talking about room in the inn. And the opportunity to serve at Room in the Inn. And uh, and I, I'm feeling uncomfortable about that. I feel uncomfortable about those kinds of things. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience hanging out with um, homeless people. Um, I don't know what they're going to be like. I mean, I know that they're just people, but I, I mean, that feels uncomfortable to me. And I'm a religious leader, like these chief priests. I mean... You're getting into my stuff. I'm I'm an I'm an elder. I'm a teacher. I'm I belong here and I feel uncomfortable. And then I found out that Kathy had signed us up. <laughs> so that was good. She had many less fears than I did. Yeah, I I know something, I know something about um I know something about fear and I think you do too. You come in close into my fear. My fear is about Showing you my imperfections. And that's really, and I try to, people come to this text in this last week about Jesus, and it's and natural, we ask questions. So why did the, um, the priests want him dead, you know? Um, why did the Romans want him dead? Well, the Romans wanted him dead, blah, blah, blah. We have lots of kind of things that are up here in the head about that. But, you know, the, the life of hatred is down here in your belly, and that's why you feel it when you have to jump off of a wall, when you have to address it. And, and you know, really, what they were afraid of, I think, is they were afraid of having their imperfections pointed out, because they preferred a system of safe living with God, and we're really not much different. But they f- they had a system of over six hundred laws that that ordered the way that that faithful Jews lived in community and in worship of God and in community with the, with the people around them, and that's how they ordered their lives. If you could just keep six hundred and eleven laws, you. We're skating free, and we kind of. I think people uh, <laughs> mock that a little bit now, but think of all the laws that we have, and for the most part, you don't have trouble keeping any of them except the speeding law um, that you broke when you were driving this morning. Um, it's not like you'd sped through a uh, crosswalk at a school zone, you know, at while well, the light was flashing. You're not that bad of a person, but you may have hated some people on your way here as well, and you may have. Uh, been trapped in an inner world, which Jesus took to great pains in some of his teaching to point out that even though you could, even if you could keep all these 600 laws, there was an internal energy, there was an internal life in people that was absolutely making them in their souls, making them law breakers. And, and the chief priests were afraid of Jesus and wanted, and, and enough so to want to kill him because he was forcing them. Confront that reality—that they were imperfect, and that they were more comfortable with a system that allowed them to check off boxes. Now, let's not color. You know, if you're drawing, you know, you draw, you think about drawing out the people in the Bible, and if you're going to draw Jesus, I'm going to draw him in white, right? He's he's, a—that's easy. Jesus is the good guy. I'm going to draw him in white, and and the apostles, pretty—they're all white, right? Except except for Judas, I'm going to draw him in black. When you draw a Pharisee, the, the mistake I think we make sometimes, we want to immediately put black hats on them, draw them black. But, but you draw Pharisees in gray because they're people with good intentions. They, they, they want to connect to God. They want an orderly life. They want to they see a world that's coming together where God rules. But, but the way they're trying to get there is just never going to work because, they're imper- because in order to get to that place, you've got to embrace your imperfections. Now, I I think that you you can look at the fig tree, and the fig tree is this image of us and of them. You know, a fig tree should produce figs. It should produce fruit. But this fig tree only produced leaves and foliage. So while it looked good on the inside, it looked good on the outside, it, it was absolutely missing its purpose on the inside. It didn't have the energy somehow to produce fruit. They, they had even at that time perverted the, the system of offerings. It's not surprising, but when you didn't keep those laws, you had to give offerings. And so you had to buy a dove or buy an animal of some kind. It had to be sacrificed by the priest. And it was a very elaborate process. And they had even perverted that to where they could make money on the exchange when people came from other came in to buy doves and buy those animals. They had perverted that as well. And that's what was behind Jesus wanting to drive the money changers out of the temple. Temple, they, they, they honestly preferred the complexity and the rigidity of a religious system of 600 laws over one that Jesus taught, which was most simply, love God, love your neighbor, follow me. That's, that's the whole gospel. And it is virtually impossible to do. So, after three years of hearing about this guy, and some of them have been out to see Jesus teach. He's been in some of, their, in some of their, uh, their meetings, and they've heard him teach. They've heard all the things he's done. Here comes Jesus out of the dust of Judea onto their turf to tell them the gig is up, to make them confront their fears, that in fact they must embrace their fears, they must embrace their imperfections and offer them in God in exchange for his perfection if they ever, ever want to have any hope of finding eternal life. I am the resurrection, he said, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. It's kind of hard to cut that in more than one direction. That's a pretty true statement. It's a pretty straight statement, whether it's true or not is something different but it's a very very hard statement it's enough of a hard statement or it's hard enough i would say that um if you have enough fear around that it'll make you want to kill the guy and they did we do it differently now it's it's not judea it's charlotte It's a couple thousand years later but but we do the same thing to mask this discomfort we feel when someone tells us to jump off the wall or tells us to serve in room in the inn or tells us the life that lives beyond the life we're living and tells us in order to get it though, we're going to have to let go of our fears and we're going to have to address our imperfections. We're going to have to just live our imperfections basically. We really don't feel comfortable about that. Richard Rohr, who's a a Catholic priest and a, 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 a contemplative, a mystic a bit, I'd say, uh, had this in his uh, one of his daily readings this week. He said, Our suffering is psychological, relational, and addictive. The suffering of people who are comfortable on the outside, but oppressed and empty within. It's a crisis of meaningless, which leads us to try and find meaning in possessions, in perks, prestige, and power which are always on the outside of the self, and it it doesn't work. So we turn to ingesting food, to drink, to drugs, and we become mass consumers to fill the hole within us, looking for comfort. You don't grow vigorously in comfort. And that's why God brings discomfort. It is the Spirit of God who brings you the discomfort. There's a passage in the bible crazy place where there was some water and people would wait on the edge of the water and when the water would 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 move they would know that it was the spirit moving the water and they'd try to plunge into the water in that moment to capture the healing that was available it's god that troubles the waters of our lives the first uh, year that kathy and i owned a home here in charlotte and um, you've all, all of us you know this is okay there's this crazy existential ritual first thing Whose idea was it to plant uh, fescue, basically a weed that doesn't do very well here, and call it lawn? Okay, so that's the first thing. Talk about an external uh, appearance. Secondly, um, you're going to try to do that in a place, in, in yards that have lots of gumball trees. I'm like, I don't know what, I don't, those things are, I mean, they're evil. And, 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 and oak trees. And so the first year we had a lawn, you know, I'm competitive. Um, so I'm going to have not just a lawn, I'm going to have the Uber lawn, and I had a lot of work to do because the lawn had not been taken care of for a while. And so, yeah, you know, I did thatch it, really just got rid of a bunch of dead weeds. And then I got the uh, rototiller. Um, this is just kind of a note to self. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail here. But if you ever um, rent the the, the rototiller, I recommend you get it up and off the truck with a friend. Um, you can have her build a ramp, a plywood ramp. Just remember the ramp is going to kind of Bow as you go up it. If you don't put a couple two by fours on it, and if it bows and you go off the edge, it's very difficult uh, to hang on to it and get it back on track. It can be done, but you might be out there wrestling with it a while. So um, it's, it's a crazy thing, you know. You run around the yard. This thing is beating the tar out of you, and so after have to and then you're trying to get it up on there. It's awful. Anyway, so so I do all that. I got all these holes out there, and I put some seed out there, you know, and. And I put some fertilizer, and we start watering it. Something good's going to happen. And a couple of weeks later, you get some good... You water it. it. It doesn't really grow. But then you get some rain, and something really starts to happen. You start seeing all these little green shoots coming up. And you're like, well, I got a lawn. It's going to work. It's going to work. I know it. And and then the the acorns start coming out of the trees at that time of the year. It's just crazy. You get a big wind. And and they just... If you're lucky, they blow into your neighbor's yard. But typically, you know, some number of them are going to... And right there... And you know what happens? Some of those acorns those holes that is not a rototiller that those rototiller holes are the perfect size for acorns and they go right to the bottom of them and i remember i didn't know that the first year and then um and when spring came the lawn looked pretty good because i we'd go out caddy's mom would go out and pick up the gumballs and everything off the lawn as it was coming up and not kill it all too badly and so but what else came up oak trees it turns out they do exquisitely well in those little holes. The first thing that they do, you know, well, first thing happens is they go to the bottom of the hole, and they remain in the hole all winter long, in the dark and in death, and then they stick out this root, and it goes down, and then they stick out this, what will be a trunk one day, with the object of piercing the heavens with their leaves. (laughs) They are ambitious, and they're pretty good. They will kill your lawn. Um, Yeah, it's a metaphor, right? This is you. You were meant to be dropped into a hole, to die there, to remain dead for some time, and then in some miraculous moment to sprout with a root that goes deep and to pierce the heavens with your leaves. That's what you were called to be. That only happens in adversity. That does not happen in comfort. The acorn falls from the tree and remains in the hole all winter long out there, and that is how we grow. But we don't want that. Imperfection. Imperfection. This is how we come to God, and this is actually one of my best arguments for why the Christian faith is the faith of choice. Because most faiths require some kind of obedience and some amount of work that you've got to do to get in good with God. All... Christ is saying is to get in good with God is all you need is imperfection. And we all have plenty of imperfection. Richard Rohr, again, he said it this way. He said, isn't it wonderful news that we come to God not by our perfection, but by our imperfection? That gives all of us an equal chance and utterly levels the human playing field. The only thing is no pretending. No pretending is necessary. If you decide not to keep pretending this week, in preparation for for Tenebrae and for Easter. You're going to get some resistance. If you go really, you'll know you're on the right track if, like, family members start thinking you're crazy, probably, because when you start talking about your imperfections and your secrets, they're going to know you're going to talk about theirs, too, and that's going to be scary because we're all complicit. You're going to hear some voices, crazy voices inside your head saying, if you get real with people... They won't, and you can complete your fear statement there. They won't love you. They won't check on you. They'll cut you off. You have your own. I have mine. They'll abandon you. Just fill it out there the way you need to fill it out. Try it this week. Try it. You'll feel the anxiety, the moment on the top of the wall, like in the pit of the stomach. When that comes, you, you need to have Christ's words for yourself in your own head. You need to counter what you hear with the truth. The truth is when you stand up on the wall in weakness. Jesus says, When you're weak, I'm strong. When you're imperfect, I'm perfect. Fear not, for I'm with you. Cast all your cares on me, because I care you. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. And what's holding you back from healing is the ability to trust and to hear. St. Francis Assisi was a a Catholic monk, lived in the 13th, actually lived towards the end of the 12th century and early 13th century. He is known as this tremendous lover of people and of God. And and really, today, this day, he shapes all of Christendom's ideas about what it means to live simply, what it means to live um, in care of the poor, and what it means um, to, to to really repent, to really change the way we're going, and, and go with God in our lives instead of going our own way. He's really a person whose life echoes through even today, and and you don't even know it. I mean, but he has impacted your life. And he's impacted mine. Now. He's like us. He didn't start there, and he's a human. He's a man. Um, he, in fact, he lived at a time when leprosy was very common still in Europe. And in that disease, as I understand it, um, you know, you basically get these sores, and you sort of just go on living for years and years and years. Your flesh basically rots away. It can appear on your face. It can appear anywhere. The process is awful. It's, you'll stink it is just from the disease itself. Um, it'll mark you. Maybe the psychological impacts and spiritual impacts are the worst because when someone contracted leprosy, I mean, it's really, it was because of the hygiene problems, it's very easy to pass around. So when you got hygiene, even if you had a family, you were put out of the family. If you had a job, you lost your job. You lost all the things that people, all of us typically have our identity attached to, and you arrived at homelessness. You really, maybe if you were lucky, you could be in some place where there are other lepers, (laughs) But that's how you would live out the rest of your days. And Francis had an almost phobic fear of people with leprosy. Uh, Just uh, intense fear of of lepers. And so um, at some point, he began to realize, you know, that he was a bit of a leper himself. um, A spiritual one for sure. And, And the way that it was manifesting itself was in the fact that he was not loving people well. He wanted to love people like God did, and he was taken by these stories told about Jesus, how Jesus loved lepers and healed them. And and he encountered God, and God scratched underneath his imperfection and said, it's you, Francis, it's you. And so he he, he wanted this change. And so one day, he was riding, riding a horse. He was riding a horse back out across the country, and a leper is there uh, on the side of the road. Now, he could go right past the leper, but he decides in this moment, okay, this is it. By the Spirit, power, of Spirit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get down off this horse, and I'm gonna confront my fears and this imperfection. And he got down, and he conversed with this, this, this leper, and he uh, took the leper's hand, and he kissed him, kissed it, and he embraced him. And when he kissed him and he embraced him, he felt this. He says he he felt this tremendous joy. This joy rushed in as this fear went out, and it was marvelous. So the time was over. Their time was over. Excuse me, let me go back. So he felt this tremendous joy. Then then something surprising happened. The leper turned, took his hand, and kissed him and embraced him. So then their time was over. He got on his horse and he starts to ride off. Still feeling that glow, Francis looked, back one time to wave goodbye to the man and we look back the man had disappeared it was Christ the point of the story is this there's several points but one of them is this You know, when we embrace our imperfections God embraces us if we can come to a place where we can make friends and we can kiss the places where we're not whole god kisses us when you embrace your imperfections god embraces you i jumped off the wall and i came into connection with my friends in the pool We went to the treatment, and in that last year of my father-in-law's life, there was, not that it was perfect, but there was a kind of healing that happened in our family that was impossible until we we heard from that man, that dentist, who later went on to become uh, Ken's sponsor in AA. We were rejoined together. The alienation of being lepers was broken, and we were bond back together. You know, when we served back in places... Our neighbors, we think we're serving them, but you always walk away feeling like you've been better connected and attached to the community here at Warehouse. We have five or so days to prepare for Jesus' arrival in this community this week. On Friday, we're going to confront the death of Jesus, his arrest, his torture, his death, take that plunge together. And on Sunday, we're going to celebrate Easter together. But what will we do until then? We've got five days. The, 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 the fig tree. It wasn't even the season for figs, but Jesus cursed it anyway. Why? Because the fig tree was really saying, not now. It's not a good time. It's not a good time for me to receive my king. That's going to come up in one of the songs later. It's not a good time right now for me. But Jesus says, be ready in every season for his return. The the Romans were saying, not there, not here, not there. Judea is just a dusty backwater. Not here. This is not the right place. On the road and glory and expanding kingdom, that's where we will find God. No, not, not here. And the Pharisees said, not this way. What are you saying? What's your, what's your reason? Your king is coming. What is your reason for this week to not let go of those things will we spend the week chained with the denial of our imperfections will we stand with our hands open in prayer you know not that that's wrong but it's wrong if we do that and at the same time inside our fists our, our hands are just clenched onto those imperfections gripping them now every time you grip those imperfections you're not gripping them they're gripping you they have a hold on you it's not vice versa In the last week of his bodily ministry, Jesus came to Jerusalem and no one, not the fig tree, not the Romans, not the chief priests, not the religious people, nobody was prepared for their king. No one was prepared. And so, in fear, they plotted to kill him. Put down your fear today, right now. This is a great week for us. It's the week where we can say we can be more imperfect. And receive more of his perfection than we could have ever imagined, both individually, as a community, and to our neighbors. They will love it. Our neighbors will love that. That's not religion. That's that's relationship and that that place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. For my friends. I am I love Warehouse because it's always been this place where you have encouraged us to be real and to do so without fear to have our relationships be marked by authenticness thank you for that I pray that you'll give my friends courage this week today, right now to think of the things and the places in their life they're they're imperfect and where they have been gripping that imperfection and been hiding it and have been unwilling to allow your return, Jesus. And I pray they'll let it go as we worship together now. Spirit, I pray that you will come and you will replace the fear that's in their lives with joy like St. Francis had. And I pray that like St. Francis, as they leave here and they turn to wave, that they will see that you've gone. Jesus, we know you go out with us, but they'll know that they've been with you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to take an offering now. Something we do uh, every week, and really um, without a lot of pressure—not like the pressure, like you have to give—but with the with the realization of what we can do and that we want to do, um, it's a great opportunity to give. So I I recommend you take advantage of it. There are a thousand things I want to say, but I think it just it just melts down that one thing, which is. Embrace your imperfection and receive God's embrace. Kiss your imperfection and enjoy the kiss of God. It's what you want. It's what he offers. I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. It's going to be great. It's going to be wild. It's going to be full of me. That's what Jesus says. That's what you just say. So this week as you go, find those places in your life. You won't have to look very far where you're you're, you're afraid of your imperfections. Live them openly. And trust that God is going to walk you into that plan full of him. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in peace. Amen.